All right. Well, good evening and welcome to Tuesday night Bible study at Verdun Messianic Synagogue. I'm going to go through a couple of announcements before we get started, but I do want to remind everyone who's watching online to you know share a watch party, or if you're here and you have access to your phone, share a watch party so that way other people can watch along with you who may not otherwise have planned to watch online tonight. Uh, so, our intercongregational picnic has been rescheduled to February 21st. Uh, it's the same time, 12 p.m. Uh, the address is Lake Stanley 271 Shoemaker Drive in Bifuniac Springs. Uh, and so, you know, plan on coming back after that. Pray for good weather, that we won't have uh, any inclement weather on the horizon. That way, we'll all just be able to get up and go and uh, have a good time of fellowshipping with other fellow messianics in the Florida and Southern Alabama region. Uh, let's see. Mom's morning out is tomorrow, starting at 9 a.m. Rosh Kodesh is this Thursday, February 11th at 5 p.m. So try to show up a little bit earlier, like so that way we can blow the shofar and you know get everyone in and around at the same time. That way we're not uh, you know waiting on everyone to show up to actually get started. Uh, Java Nagila is next Shabbat. Um, or actually, that, is that this Shabbat? This Shabbat. Yeah, Java Nagila is this Shabbat, uh, February 13th at 6 p.m. Michael Johnson is uh, playing, and Polly Locklear will be performing a few songs with him. So we're all excited about that. They're both very, very wonderful young music musicians. So we have, uh, and the Ladies Bible Study is postponed until June 3rd. Uh, that's just so we can uh, you know, give Robin time to, you know, fully recover and heal and so she can take care of her husband uh, until he is fully healed and so that way we're not on and off all the time canceling and starting it again and then canceling again so we want to give them time to heal and recover so that way they can be invested um, as full as they can be without having to worry about sacrificing their health as well uh, mark your calendars for July 19th through the 23rd uh, for VTS and uh, if you're interested in helping with VTS, please contact Catherine or Rivka. Just call the office. Um, we need a lot of VTS volunteers. We need people to show up and help with all sorts of things from crafts and donations. And uh, also to volunteer for that week. Uh, we, have, we need people to volunteer for cooking and uh, group leaders and uh, everything, that we, everything that usually happens to make this hap uh, VTS happen. Um, Let's see. We have eight days left on uh, Christy Johnson's T-shirt sale, the King of Israel uh, T-shirt from Bonfire. Uh, she's fundraising for the synagogue facelift to uh, help with, you know, get some money, more money for that. So go ahead and uh, get your shirt in over the next few days. Um, and please, you know, feel free to donate finances uh, to that particular cause uh, if, you, if you don't want a T-shirt. But I would want a T-shirt. That was pretty cool. So uh, we are still looking for more volunteers to run the Mevo on Shabbat morning and Tuesday nights just so we have a good pool of people to, uh, who are able to run it uh, just in case, you know, someone gets sick or has to be out of town uh, because, you know, we're still in winter and colds and flus are a thing and they spread easily. And so if we're missing all, you know, the two people who volunteer to do it, then, you know, we run into a bit of a bind. So uh, please... Uh, you know, volunteer to help us out with those things. Uh, we're looking for volunteers 
to drive for our congregational Uber service. Uh, call the office if you're interested in helping out with that. That's simply, uh, most often it tends to be things like running people to uh, appointments at the doctor's office or the hospital, people that can't get around, uh, not necessarily people who don't have vehicles, but people who maybe um, have had surgery on a part of the body that would prevent them from driving. Uh, so right now we're sitting at a little over $2,800 for our synagogue facelift fundraiser, and we still have a little over 6500 left to fundraise for it. So, you know, again, uh, you can buy a t-shirt from Christy Johnson, or feel free to donate just some money. Um, every little bit helps, so, you know, you can even encourage your little ones to, you know, maybe look at giving some, you know, pocket change to, uh, you know, help beautify our building. Uh, we're looking for a donation still for a recliner rocker for the nursery. It can't be a sliding rocker. Um, just to prevent pinching uh, little fingers. And if you want a, the Haggadah we're using this year for Passover, there's a sign-up sheet at the yellow table. Um, you have to be able to pay uh, during the office, uh, during the work week. So you'll have to call the office so that way you can pay uh, for that. I think it's $6, right? That's $6, so uh, call them or sign up when you're here and uh, get that worked out so you can have a Haggadah for Passover, which is coming up, begins March 27th. So, um, mine and Catherine's wedding shower is on February 28th, and that starts at 2.30, and that'll be here at the synagogue in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, please remember to pray for um, Fred Robin, uh, Robert Marquita, uh, Bob was, uh, had a the blood pressure scare the other day, so please keep him in prayer. Um, he's he's good now. His blood pressure's uh, back to normal. The last uh, we talked, and uh, to them and about them, and so they're doing much better. So keep them in prayer that they'll continue to heal. Uh, be praying for Rabbi David. He just got out of surgery the other day. He's you know currently recovering, and it looks like he's on the way to a really good recovery. But um, it's going to be a long recovery, so be praying for him and uh, his family as they. Uh, we'll continue to work to see him back on his feet soon. Uh, continue praying. Uh, let's see. Mm. We'll continue praying for all those who you know are sick and out, haven't been coming recently, um, and that you know everyone will be doing everything they can to remain in good health, especially as we uh, hopefully are finishing out winter here soon. So that way, uh, there's you know, no more colds, no more flu, and, uh, we, and no more COVID, and we can just, uh, everyone will feel free to meet and uh, not, not really worry about, you know, uh, getting a cold if they uh, show up to things. So continue to keep everyone uh, in prayer, healing, and freedom from sickness. All right. So. Our Father, our King, Lord, we thank you for this day, for the many blessings that have come with it, Lord. We ask you to be with all of those who are in the midst of healing, Lord, who are healing from uh, you know, disease and sickness, temporary things. We ask you to heal those who are recovering from major surgeries, Lord. Uh, we've had a lot in the past few days and weeks, and we just ask that you give them all an, an easy recovery, Lord, a swift recovery and that their spirits will be kept high and that they'll 
uh, continue to look forward to getting through any physical therapy they're going through and uh, getting on the other side and being back uh, walking or doing, you know, doing what they were doing before uh, they had the surgery, just living life to its fullest, Lord, glorifying you and blessing neighbor. We thank you, Lord, for uh, bringing us here together tonight to go through your word. Help us, Lord, to learn your word, to know it and understand it, so that way we will have an answer when posed with questions, and we'll be able to go out and live it, Lord, and we'll walk with it shining upon our faces as a testimony to you, to your son, Yeshua, to the redemption that we've all received and to the life that we now live. We give thanks and praise to your name. In the name of Yeshua, our King. Amen. Yeshua. Yehoshua. And that's what we're in tonight. We're in Joshua. Uh, I wanted to go through Joshua for a little bit now. Actually, um, just me personally, because uh, for the past couple of years, you know, you finish a Torah cycle and you get to the end of Deuteronomy and then you kind of restart. And then there's, you know, all these other books that come afterwards. And I'm like, well, I kind of want to keep going in this chronological order. So I figured I would start in Joshua. Uh, and then I thought, well, I could teach on Joshua since I'm supposed to teach on Tuesdays occasionally. And so what I want to do is I want to begin going through Joshua tonight and then we'll see where it goes um, in the future. Wherever we stop tonight, uh, either due to time or me just finishing what I have. And then uh, the next time I teach on a Tuesday, we'll pick up again wherever we left off in Joshua. And my goal is actually to run through Joshua and Judges um, because... There's a lot of uh, history of Israel that I think is um, not, not gone over, but I think it can be gone over more often. Uh, I think there's a lot of good lessons to be found in them. So, uh, so Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. It comes right after the Torah ends in Deuteronomy. Uh, it's, also, it's often called a Deuteronomic book. That's attributed to some scholars believe that a singular author compound. Um, com put together Deuteronomy and books like Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings simply because a lot of them sound uh, similar in style. However, there's enough dissimilarity in the way they're written and style to where that um, it can actually be argued against. So there's, there's two camps, really. Um, so De Deuteronomic books are rife with telling Israelite history as this constant flow of you know, it's a cycle of obedience, disobedience, punishment, you know, returning to God. Obedience, disobedience, punishment, returning to God. And uh, we see this is where, you know, when we make jokes about, you know, how we, nothing really ever changes. You know, humanity continues to act the same way. You know, there's this turning away from God. And then, you know, life goes to shambles. And then, you know, people get their stuff back together. And then they begin walking towards Hashem. You know, or they're redeemed out of sin, and uh, they begin walking with him again. And so it's this constant cycle, and Deuteronomic books are uh, the ones where this is sort of constantly the theme. And so the book's name for Moses' successor, Joshua, or Yehoshua. Uh, Yehoshua uh, means, you know, God is salvation. Uh, Yeshua is a shortened form of this name, so, uh, you know, you probably heard many teachings before where, you know, you could call Yeshua's name Joshua and, you know, be partially correct because, you know, the name is simply a shorter version uh, of his name. Uh, so salvation is defined as preservation and deliverance. And, 
we won't see a ton of that as we read tonight, but as we continue going through Joshua and on into Judges and you know, some of the other books of Israel's history and into the prophets, we see that God is all about the preserving of his people and the delivering of his people because he's constantly doing both. And so, you know, he preserves and delivers Israel. And we'll see actually, hopefully tonight, as long as I get there, that he even preserves non-Israelis who eventually join into the people of Israel. And so, uh, without further ado, I'm going to read the first five verses of chapter one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' attendant, my servant Moses is dead. Prepare to cross the Jordan together with all this people into the land that I am giving to the Israelites. Every spot on which your foot treads, I give to you, as I promised Moses. Your territory shall extend from the wilderness and the Lebanon to the great river, the river Euphrates on the east, the whole Hittite country, and up to the Mediterranean Sea on the west. No one shall be able to resist you as long as you live. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. And so, you know, this opens up with, you know, so Moses is gone. Joshua is stepping into the role uh, that Moses was in. He is leading the nation of Israel. I talked a little bit on Shabbat about how Moses had appointed judges and leaders, um, you know, among the tribes and the divisions of the people in Israel, but Moses was still head leader, head honcher. He was the guy at the top leading the whole nation. Joshua is now filling that role. I like that it calls them both servants, that God calls Moses his servant, and he refers to Joseph as Moses's. In this one, in this word, it's uh, attendant, but um, I didn't write down what the Hebrew word was, but the definition was a servant. Um, it even included the word menial, which meant he didn't have to actually be skilled at that much. He was actually just following Moses and doing whatever Moses was having him uh, to do. And so, you know, this, they're both servant leaders. They're both leading a nation. They're at the head of, you know, millions, hundreds of thousands to millions of people. And they still remain uh, very humble in comparison to what we see with a lot of Gentile empires, especially those in the Canaanite region. Um, you know, they don't demand worship. They've just come from a country where the leader was worshipped as a god, as a demigod. Um, but they both remain humble and at a very, uh, you know, down-to-earth level. And, you know, this is a good example because, you know, later on, thousands of years later, Yeshua calls for servant leaders. You know, we're commanded to, you know, wash the feet of, you know, our disciples, the people who are under us. We are to serve those who we lead. And, uh, you know, both Moses and uh, Joshua uh, exemplify this uh, service, this, ser this attitude of, of, ser of serving those who they lead. And so they're both, you know, we would consider righteous men. You know, and righteous men are already servants. You know, if you live, if you live after righteousness, you're a slave. To righteousness. Romans 6.18 says, you know, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So when you enter into a relationship with God through Yeshua, you have chosen a master. You have said, I choose the one who's righteous. You know, it's like um, when I discussed, you know, the, what the title Melchizedek means, you know, my king is righteousness. You're declaring my king 
is righteousness. It, you know, Yeshua is righteous and pursuing Him, the, you know, the governing uh, direction of my mind will be righteousness. And so we're slaves to it. We can't get away from it. Um, let's see. All right, and so down on it says, uh, it reads, you know, where Israel's feet uh, tread. God tells them, every spot on which your foot treads, I give to you. And so Israel's going in as a nation, as a whole, and uh, he's giving them all the land that they go into. And so what is Israel's mission? And y'all can answer this. The mission is going to possess the land that God has mm -hmm. promised them. Cast out. Cast out. Cast out. Yeah, we're casting out uh, you know, the, the tribes and the nations that have done wickedness. Uh, what else? What is the overall mission? God commands this. Israel's overall purpose in the world. Well, their overall purpose is to be a light, to be a priesthood. Yep. yep, to be a light to the world, light to the nations. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to go to Isaiah 52.7. Because uh, I thought about this uh, when I was reading earlier today, and I had to go find it. You know, so we're talking about feet treading into the world, treading into the, you know, the land of Canaan. Uh, you know, the, the Israelites know their mission. They know they're to be a light to the nations. And, you know, and so in Isaiah 52, 7, it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces shalom, who brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Um, you know, and in Romans... You know, it's uh, pretty much, let's see, in Romans uh, ten fifteen, it's pretty much a quote, um, you know, of the book of Isaiah. Let's see. Romans ten fifteen. it reads, And how shall they proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news of good things. And so, you know, Really, uh, I, you know, we read often of Israel as you know, they're commanded to go in and to take the land and to disperse the wicked tribes that are there. But they're also commanded to be a light to the world, a light to the nations. And so, you know, they're bringing in, their, their feet are bringing in righteousness with them. They're carrying the Torah, the instructions of God with them, you know, how to know Hashem, how to relate to Hashem. And so, and we see many people in these lands come to Israel and join with them and dwell with them um, because of this, because they do recognize the light that Israel uh, gives off when they're obeying Hashem. You know, and so, but most of the people of the land don't see these beautiful feet. <laughs> they, they see a, an invading army. It's coming in and it's trying to take over uh, the, you know, their lands, trying to dispossess them of their possessions. Uh, their, you know, their livestock, their, their farms, um, you know, and, you know, the other thing is wickedness cannot live with light. So, you know, the, the people who do not see the, the beauty in what's coming to them in the land of Canaan can't live with them if they choose not to see, uh, you know, the light that is God's word because they can't be around it. It's like, you know, Rabbi was talking one time about how you know, we, certain people should not be able to be so comfortable with us um, in certain uh, spheres of life because 
we have the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and our lives emulate that they, you know, it, or that light and that truth, that life should pour forth from us. It should pour forth from us in how we talk and how we walk, you know, and how we, how we think, the words we say. And people, and, you know, people see that and they recognize that. And so then they'll, you know, often call you out on it. I've had, you know, co-workers in the past who, you know, would, uh, you know, would come to me and talk to me about certain things because they knew I wouldn't talk to them in a way that was you know, demeaning or condemning because you know, even if I gave criticism because you know, the criticism was covered with a lot of mercy and grace simply just because you know, God has redeemed me and changed my heart to be that. And so um, people do recognize it. The world recognizes it. And so uh, I think you know, beyond these nations recognizing that Israel is invading us physically, they also, there's a spiritual um, push that's happening and so the people uh, lurch against that. You know, it brought to my mind in John three, nineteen, uh, when I was thinking about this, that, uh, um, you know, it says, now this is the judgment that the light has come into the world or into Canaan, uh, if you want to take this back and uh, layer it over that. And men love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. And, you know, We've read a lot about how you know, God has condemned a lot of these nations for uh, horrific uh, things. Among one of those, child sacrifice. Um, most of these nations uh, lived in uh, complete sexual immorality. And, uh, you know, so the light is coming in and is beginning to, you know, to push it out. So Israel is uh, doing its job um, in a spiritual and a physical way. And of course, they will uh, sometimes uh, fail in that regard. And when they begin to fail spiritually, they begin to fail physically against the nations. And so down uh, towards the bottom of verse 5, you know, it says, No one shall be able to resist you as long as you live. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will, nor, I will not fail you or forsake you. So as long as you live, uh, the Hebrew word there for um, live is uh, hayaka. It means alive, raw, fresh. Strong. It's a. Uh, it's a kind of close to the word uh, hazak, but not not quite there. And so, you know, the, another sort of a more spiritual way of looking at this is, you know, no one will be able to resist you as long as you live, as long as you're alive. You know, and you know. So the question then becomes, well, what is what is living? You know, and done in uh, verse six through nine, it tells us. You know, to be strong and resolute, for you shall, you shall apportion to this people the land that I swore to their fathers to assign to them. But you must be very strong and resolute to observe faithfully all the teaching that my servant Moses enjoined upon you. Do not deviate it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Let not this book of the teaching cease from your lips, but recite it day and night, so that you may observe faithfully all that is written in it. Only then will you prosper in your undertakings, and only then will you be successful. And so observing God's ways faithfully, that is living. You know, and we see that in their story when Israel's passing the land. As long as they're observing Hashem's things, they're doing His will, no one resists them. You know, we see this uh, you know, in the story where you know, the, uh, Joshua's fighting the Amalekites. And Moses is on top of the hill, and he's supposed to hold the staff up. And as long as the staff was raised up, 
they were winning. But when he let it down, even though he wasn't trying to let it down in weakness, it, um, they began to lose. So when, as long as they're observing faithfully God's instruction, they, can, they prosper and they do well. Uh, you know, now the big thing is, and I've heard this uh, a lot of times before used in this way, is this is not a prosperity gospel message. Um, you know, because I've heard this verse uh, used a lot of times uh, in that way that, you know, if you, you know, recite things faithfully, if you observe things faithfully, you will prosper in all your undertakings and then you'll be successful. I think the principle can be applied to anyone and everyone in life because regardless of, uh, because regardless, irregardless, <laughs> because regardless, the, um, Living a life of righteousness brings prosperity. I was listening to a teaching uh, this morning as I was, uh, um, when I first got up, about how you know, righteous people tend to do well at all that they do. They're good at their craft or their job or trade, whatever it is, because they're, they're really giving it their all. They're really living life. And so, uh, you, know, they, uh, you know, these are the people who get called before kings. These are, the, these are the, the, you know, the, the jewelers and the metal workers who get called to make a new crown for the emperor. These are the people who weave beautiful clothing and you know, get called to you know, make tapestries and things for castles. Um, you know, but they do, it, they do it because pursuing righteousness for its own sake, not, be, not to get. You know, the prosperity gospel is all about believing to get. It's, you know, I'm doing this. Uh, the Israelites could have easily said this. I'm going... To you know, do what God says, just so I can have my portion of land, just so I can have, you know, my children will be successful and I'll have lots of them. But they obey Hashem because Hashem is worthy of being obeyed. We are to obey Hashem because He is worthy of being obeyed. He is our God, and He is His commandments are to be obeyed simply because He gave them. You know, uh, we're not always given a reason why. You know, we obey them. Sometimes they're symbolic of things to come or things he's done. Shabbat is symbolic of creation. It's also symbolic of a future rest to come in the, in the Messianic era. But we're not really given a reason why it's good for us now or why we should do it now. And people will argue that, oh, it's healthy. It's healthy to have a day off. Okay, well, sure. But Shabbat is specific. If we just wanted to take a day off, we could take any day off. Yeah. But God is particular about this portion set aside in time. And so we obey Hashem, we do His things because He says them. And so, you know, but this doesn't mean we won't have hardship. You know, look at Daniel and Joseph. You know, they went through very difficult, trying times. Joseph was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. I have not been thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. So I'm, I, I, as far as that's concerned, I'm on a pretty good role model. I've had a pretty good life. <laughs> So, you know, Daniel. Daniel was taken from his home and made into a eunuch. So, you know, I doubt any of us have had that problem. So, and they continued to pursue righteousness as much as they could, you know, for the sake of doing it, for the sake of living righteously uh, before God. So that is what truly living is. And if you live that way, no one can resist you. It doesn't mean people aren't going to stand up to you and disagree with you, but... It means that they won't be able to resist you as long as you continue to do it for, the, for its own sake. And so the only uh, thing I felt like I needed up on the screen tonight was a map of uh, 
what's generally looked at as the you know land portions of the different tribes that existed in Canaan at the time. I will say, just as someone who's a student of history and maps are a big part of that, this is a very, very, very Western idea of what borders look like. Uh, tribal borders are a lot more porous than uh, this right here. And so, um, just we're going to have to deal with that because this was one of the cleaner ones I actually found. So, um, I'm only going to uh, no, tell about a part of these, but you know, we see, we begin to see some of these people that become either very problematic for the Israelites or that begin to, um, you know, maybe not so problematic. So we have, you know, the Philistines. The Philistines throughout the rest of the biblical text are going to be more often than not a problem for the Israelite people, whether causing them to fall into sin or by actually engaging them in physical uh, you know, battle. Uh, the Hittites. The Hittites are actually kind of an interesting group because you know, we see some of them later on in the biblical text begin to kind of join into, um, not necessarily join into Israel as becoming Israel, but living sort of as what, um, you know, when the Torah talks about, you know, you shall not oppress the stranger. They begin to live as those sorts of people. They, the people who aren't necessarily um, pursuing Hashem, pursuing God, living the life of, um, but they are in the land and, and sometimes they cause problems with things like intermarriage, um, which results in further problems, idolatry, sexual morality. You see this with the, uh, the Moabites. And so, others include the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and so these are just a kind of what you, know, you would see Israel coming up from the south, um, and they would be into uh, interacting with all these groups as they begin to move into Canaan. And so the Hittites. Uh, the Hittites are an interesting bunch because, you know, we see we have some down here and we have some over here uh, towards the top of the northern section of Canaan. The Hittites actually really aren't from Canaan. Um, the Hittite Empire actually was strongest and its majority was in what we would call modern-day Turkey today. Um, it did extend a little bit into the like, northernmost parts of Canaan, but at this point in time, the reason why there's more of them living in Canaan is because a lot of them have actually um, been displaced to, uh, because the empire has, uh, is beginning to fall apart. Uh, the Sea Peoples have begun to sort of break apart the Hittite Empire, and so they're beginning to live um, and amongst these other tribes who were uh, there uh, first. And so I think you know, my, my point with that is you know, because we begin to interact with Hittites a lot and they're not even really from Canaan that you know, empires rise and fall all the time. And you know, God's people press on. You know, Israel continues to press on into Canaan. Meanwhile, all around them in the world, Egypt, Egypt has just suffered a crushing blow from God himself, you know, you know, 40 years in the past, and is, you know, I mean, really, you could consider it a very, a, uh, maybe not necessarily the fall of an empire, but an, an extreme weakening, and it's, you know, its strength has been lost, it, each one of the plagues attacked, you know, its, its economy, its military, it's, uh, it's something that, anything that we would fight against in politics, is saying, no, you can't attack that, that supports our country, that's a pillar of you know, keeping this country 
running, each of those things was hit by one of the plagues. And so, you know, the, and the Hittite empires the same way. There's this empire of North that's beginning to crumble. And you know, so empires all around are falling apart. And people are being displaced and moved. And yet Israel continues uh, to move on. I think that's the beautiful thing about watching Israel in this time in its history is while most of humanity, at least in the Near East, is erecting cities and, you know, empires and borders, Israel's very fluid. It's, you know, it knows that it has an inheritance. It knows that it has a promised portion of land, but it's looking towards the promise right now and not worried so much about the spot of dirt they're camped on temporarily. Um, and so, you know, I think as an encouraging factor, we should also not be so concerned um, about where we are camped temporarily, but we should be looking forward to our inheritance, to the things that, the things that are promised to us, the messianic era. So in verses 10, uh, 10 through 11, Joshua thereupon gave orders to the officials of the people, Go through the camp and charge the people thus. Get provisions. As a possession. And so uh, the word here for a possession, lerishta, uh, to occupy, to seize, uh, rob, to expel, to impoverish, uh, ruin, and to inherit. Inherit's the nice one in that definition. And, uh, you know, so, you know, Israel is to go in and to seize. You know, God tells them to go in and take it. It's yours. You know, you're to go in. You know, you're not to do as they do. But you're to take the land because it, I promised it to your forefathers. So Israel seizes the land in obeying Hashem. However, the thing that they often run into trouble is seizing his commandments that go along with the land. Big one of these is, like, letting the land rest. You know, not... Um, removing all of the idols, you know, not removing you know, the sexually immoral. You know, those are the things that come, um, they're very geographically based. You know, these commandments you know, essentially keep the land healthy. The land prospers when the people obey the commandments of God in the land as uh, commanded. You know, I mean, how many commandments do we have where God says, when you come into the land, do this? When you come into the land, do that. When you come into the land, don't do this. And, you know, uh, you know, it's when they do the things he tells them not to do or, does, or don't do the things he tells them to do, that's when we see the land uh, begin to, um, you know, have problems and, uh, you know, famines and, uh, you know, other nations invade and kill and destroy, uh, much like the accuser. Uh, you know, the, uh, another word in the definition of the word no to expel, you know, kicking, they're kicking wickedness out of the land. They're getting rid of the people who are there performing you know, child sacrifice to Moloch. And, you know, they're removing that. They're, you know, chopping these idols down, burning them, raising them to the ground and destroying the civilizations that continue to use them. And so, you know, when you know, we remove wickedness from our hearts, when we come to Yeshua, we do the same thing. You know, we cast down a lot of the idols that, you know, we allow to build up. And, you know, then our hearts can be fruitful. 
because you know, the land couldn't be fruitful as God intended it to be when these things were there, while these things were happening. And that's one of the reasons why he has Israel go in and take it. So the land can be fruitful. It's his. It's his people's. You know, and so you know, when there's no wickedness in our lives, our hearts are fruitful. And that's why you know, the first call, the call of the gospel is to repent. You know, and it's all about being fruitful, living lives that are fruitful before God, that bless each other and that glorify Him. You know, and the other word, to inherit, and this is my favorite because it's the nice one out of all the words in that definition, is you know, Israel went in expecting land and to prosper in it because it was their inheritance. You know, it was promised to their fathers. You know, that's why you know, they, they call out to God to be rescued, to be you know, given their inheritance. Uh, you know, God hears them and answers and delivers them. You know, he preserves them and He delivers them and to give them their inheritance because He wants to give them uh, their inheritance. You know, when we covenant with God through Yeshua, we come expecting forgiveness and life. You know, eternal life, but also life now. Life now. We have the opportunity now to live before Hashem in a way that is good, in a way that God says to do, that is pleasing to Him. And uh, you know, to really live out a life of love for Him and love for our neighbors. So in 12 through 15, verse 12 through 15, Then Joshua said to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, enjoined upon you when he said, The Lord your God is granting you a haven. He has assigned this territory to you. Let your wives, children, and livestock remain in the land that Moses assigned to you, on this side of the Jordan, but every one of your fighting men shall go across armed in the van of your kinsmen. And you shall assist them until the Lord has given your kinsmen a haven, such as you have, and they too have gained possession of the land that the Lord your God has assigned to them. Then you may return to the land on the east side of the Jordan, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you as your possession, and you may possess it. So who remembers where this story kind of begins? This, uh, this bit with the Reuben, Reubenites, the Gadites, and Manasseh. Begins in the Torah, latter end of the Torah. Numbers? Numbers, that's right. Why did they pick the land? Why did they pick the east part of the Jordan? Because it was pretty. Because it was pretty. <laughs> 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 yep, for sheep and cows. So they, <clears throat> they wanted good land for their livestock. They saw it was good. And rather than go into the Jordan, they said, oh, we'll settle here. We like this. So, however, in Numbers, they did promise Moses that when the time came to go into Canaan, they would join Israel. And so Joshua's here reminding them, of like, look, Moses is dead, but you promised to go into the land and fight with Israel, so you have to go. And so and they're saying, absolutely, we'll go, because in 1613, they answered Joshua, We will do everything you have commanded us, and we will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. Let but the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Any man who flouts your commands and does not obey every order you give, or every order you give him shall be put to death. Only be strong and resolute. And so, you know, right here, I love this. You know, let but the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. So they recognized that God was with Moses and that you know, the things that Moses said and told them was from God. And they want Joshua to be the same way. 
Because they want, people want to hear from godly people. They want to hear instruction from people who are hearing from God, who are living out lives that you know, reflect God being in their lives because it's, um, it's part of that light. It's part of why you, know, you either hate Israel or you love Israel because you, rec you recognize that. Everyone recognizes the light. You either hate it or you love it. And so, you know, they, they love the light they saw in Moses. They love God and they want to see the same in Joshua so they can follow him. And they tell them, yep, we'll obey you. And anyone who doesn't, we'll kill him. Which is, you know, we can have lots of legal discussions about uh, the death penalty uh, another time. But, uh, you know, in 16 to 18, it talks about, you know, at the very end, be strong and resolute. You know, and it reminds me of, you know, at the end of, in the books, of reading the five books in the Torah, you know, we say, you know, Hazach, Hazach, Venet, Hazek. And it's, you know, be strong, be strong, let us be strengthened. And it's that same root word here in a, in a be strong, Hazach. And so I, I like that they're sort of ending a conversation almost like they're saying the same thing as we say when we finish a, a book of the Torah. And, uh, and so we go into chapter 2. Uh, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, saying, Go, reconnoiter the region of Jericho. So they set out, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and lodged there. So Jericho is going to be... Um, I don't know how it looks online, but in the central part here, the Kibites, Jericho is going to be right near uh, that curve of the Hivite. Uh, territory. Um, it's in the Valley of the Jordan. And um, I just, some basic facts about the city. Uh, there, this city went through a lot <laughs> over the years. Um, you know, when it wasn't being knocked down by God and the Israelites, uh, its walls often were knocked down by several different earthquakes that happened um, over uh, several different years. Um, you know, we think of city walls as being these super t impressive things, but the city walls were probably only about 12 feet high. So, not too tall, just tall enough to keep people they didn't want in out. And about six inches wide. Um, there's some scholars that think the walls were built not so much for regional defense, but because um, this area tended to flood a lot. And so the walls were more to keep water out than to keep uh, people out. And uh, um, Jericho was uh, known um, for you know, harvesting and growing uh, domesticated wheat, uh, barley, uh, and legumes, so things like lentils, beans. Um, you know, again, because it's growing things like domesticated wheat and barley, it probably means it's a beer center, which, you know, <laughs> and again, is, I, I find interesting. So, uh, and again, yeah, many of these uh, cities and civilizations sprung, spring up from becoming agricultural centers. Um, and uh, again, like a lot of their contemporaries in Egypt, beer tends to be the, the one thing that requires a stable place to grow, uh, to be fermented. Um, so uh, a lot of those uh, result in civilization like cities. Uh, it definitely would have been a, an area of trade. Uh, not just for agriculture, but for bronze. Um, Jericho, uh, it's 
the height of its life is during the Bronze Age, and so they would have done a lot of uh, trading and work with bronze tools and weapons. Um, you know, it's in a very strategic location in the Jordan Valley, but because it sits there as an armed city, probably with a military force of some kind, you know, they can control the movement of people going through this um, region. You know, they, can, they can control it in the sense that they can impose tariffs. So, if, you know, uh, merchants are traveling through in caravans, they can stop them and say, oh, hey, by the way, you want to pass through U.S. money. Um, and the same thing uh, with armies. They can prevent the movement of uh, armies um, going through and uh, conquering other parts of the territory, which is um, kind of what Israel is doing, an army moving through. And, uh, but Jericho doesn't stop them. Rather, Israel stops at Jericho to take care of Jericho. Um, and, so, uh, and so, and this is the first time we meet Rahab. Now, who knows where else is Rahab mentioned in the Bible? She's in the lineage of Yeshua. Uh -huh. That's right. And she's a harlot. She's a prostitute. She's not the only one. You know, no, not the only one. But, you know, we, we see, you know, this interesting... Uh, this interesting dynamic in the lineage of Yeshua. Uh, we see the same thing with Ruth later on, is that you know both of these people come to dwell in Israel, living in Israel, not just tolerating Israel, but being an active part of it. You know, worshiping the God of Israel. You know, Rahab marries Salmon, and she, you know, her son is the husband, the later husband of Ruth, Boaz, and so there's this interesting dynamic in Yeshua's lineage of you know, redeemed people, people who are redeemed out of sin and lifestyles that are, you know, not what God wants for anyone, you know, repenting and then living according to his paths. And people who are not blood Israelis, people, you know, not people who are from any given tribe um, that's associated with Israel. Uh, you know, a lot of you know, some of the people we see earlier on in Israel's history, like Caleb, and, uh, you know, when they send the spies into the land. He's not of an Israeli tribe. He was part of the mixed multitude that went out of Egypt with him. But, you know, Rahab, Rahab is, she's completely disassociated from Israel. You know, she's in a, she's a part of the nation that's being invaded right now by Israel. So, I, I just, I love that Yeshua's lineage consists of these people who... Um, like us, we're in need of redemption. We're in need, needed the chance to repent, needed the forgiveness of God. And that Yeshua, the blood that flowed through the body of Yeshua held in it, you know, that genetic information of the, the desire to be redeemed and to walk uh, in a way that is good. Um, uh, two through seven. Uh, the king of Jericho was told, some men have come here tonight, Israelites, to spy out the country. The king of Jericho thereupon sent orders to Rahab, Produce the men who came to you and entered your house, for they have come to spy out the whole country. The woman, however, had taken the two men and hidden them. It is true, she said, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And at dark, when the gate was about to be closed, the men left, and I don't know where the men went. Quick, go after them, for you can overtake them. Now she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under some stalks of flax, 
which he had uh, lying on the roof. So the men pursued them in the direction of the Jordan down to the fords, and no sooner had the pursuers gone out than the gate was shut behind them. So it's kind of funny that you know they're trying to root out these people, but you know they themselves get locked out <laughs> for the night. Um, and so, um, you know, the, these two men go to the house of a harlot, and you know. It doesn't say that they did anything simple, but I think it's kind of funny that they, you know, they essentially went to the house of a prostitute. I tend to think that there's another, another explanation that um, potentially because they were strangers in the city, the, you know, a, a, a brothel would have been more open to them coming in uh, rather than a, a formal inn because, you know, a proper innkeeper is probably... If he recognizes strangers, especially if maybe some of the people more south are reporting there's this nation coming up through us and you know, taking taking land, that uh, they uh, they would want to report that to the authorities. Whereas a brothel, maybe not so much. So I, you know, I like to think that you know they're possibly not going to a brothel for brothel reasons, <laughs> um, but that they're going because it would be easier to lie low and still be able to. Um, pay for you know a bed to stay in um, overnight, and so uh, um, I'll wrap up with this. You know the stalks of flax. You know I I've actually seen a roof thatched before uh, when I was um, in Holland. A lot it's very popular over there to still thatch your roof with flax and branches and things, um, which you know most people today, especially in America, will be like you know. Who, People still thatch their roofs, like what? Uh, maybe in some third world country, but no, there's a lot of people who thatch their roofs. Um, it's, it's cheap, it's good for your, um, it's good for the money. What's the word? Uh, insulation. Yeah, insulation, climate control, there we go, climate control. <laughs> it's good for uh, climate control. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, and I've seen, you know, I, I've watched men, you know, climb up on rooftops with these, you know, big bundles of, you know, straw sticks. You know, whatever they were using to thatch these roofs, and uh, and um, watch them piece together these uh, roofs. And it's actually very, um, it's interesting, but it's also really cool to watch, just because it's something that's been done for so long. And so, because I've seen that, I can easily see. Oh yeah, they could have, they could have easily hid under, you know, these uh, you know bushels or whatever they were. And even if it was a fully formed roof, it would be nothing to pull up a bit of it. Get up under it into you know, the rafters and pull it back down on top of you, and you would you would never know. So, and so where is that verse seven? That I stopped it. Yep. And so, um, that is what I have for us tonight for Joshua. So, uh, the next time we will finish chapter two and move on uh, into hopefully three, and maybe we'll get to four. But thank you all for watching tonight. I hope you all got something out of that. Shalom.